Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Tyler King. Tyler is a founder and co-CEO of Quiet Capital. He formed Quiet Capital in 2016 and focuses on multifamily assets throughout the Southeast. Today, Quiet Capital currently owns 2,500 plus units, totaling over $100 million in assets across five states. So we're really grateful that you've joined us today on today's episode. Tyler, how are you doing? Doing well. Glad to be here. I appreciate you having me on. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's a little bit... uh, rainy over here so <laughs> but no complaints for friday same here I, I was in the dominican republic last week and i come back to nashville and i'm looking at you know 10 degree temperatures out here and ice everywhere so <laughs> oh no you gotta be careful with that ice i hear you though so tyler if you can start off by sharing a little bit more about your background and how you got started in real estate yeah sure so it it was kind of accidental i was looking for a home for myself to live in. I graduated college. I had been working in the insurance business for about a year, year and a half. And I was looking for somewhere to buy for me to live in. And I found a fixer upper and it needed probably nine months or so of work. So during the course of that time, while I was fixing it up, I ended up finding another place that I would much rather live in. So I ended up putting all this work in, everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong on that flip. But when I went around and sold it, I ended up making more money on it than I was making in my current profession at that time. So that kind of got me into it. I knew I had to find a way to make that a career. And, you know, that was 2013-ish. And then cut to today, uh, a lot has happened since then. And so after that first flip that you did, you know, what were kind of the steps that you took afterwards? Did you continue doing some more flips or did you go into a rental space or did you jump into multifamily? Yeah. So I I was doing a little bit of wholesaling, more flips. I found myself over the course of that flip also in a boot camp. You know, one of those real estate workshops, you, they sell you into a two-day boot camp and it goes from there. Um, but that was, you know, that was the jumping off point that really changed my life. So I was doing fix and flips, wholesaling, and then probably two or three years of that. And then the new construction started because it was purely out of necessity. Land was getting, or homes were getting very pricey in our market. And so the only way to make money uh, with that current strategy was... You had to buy a house, tear it down, and then build two on it, you know? So that was kind of the path that I took, and uh, it turned into a full-blown development company. And then over the course of that development company is when I started getting getting into multifamily. I'm sure we'll hit on that, you know, here in a bit. And so during this time while you were building up yourself and your uh, foundation in real estate, were you working a full-time job still, or was this now full-time? I was kind of uh, weaning off of my full-time job. It was insurance, so you can, you know, whatever the work you put in is what you make. So I had a little income coming in from that, but, you know, I'd also made a good amount of money on that first flip that, you know, changed my life and decided to make me go into real estate full-time. So I was working a little bit uh, on the insurance side, but 
by that time, I had picked up some strategies and some tips to really start building a real estate business, which, you know, I had income in from the agent side of things. I have my real estate license and then wholesale deals that was kind of keeping the machine moving. And so what was that? At what point did you decide to fully jump in full time into real estate and then no longer do insurance? It was probably a year and a half after I started uh, real estate. I was making enough money to where I was comfortable leaving uh, my book of business behind. And, you know, I, I truthfully, I hated that business anyway. And real estate, it, it was just a no brainer for me. I was having fun doing it. I was, I was making enough money to live off of. So it worked out. And so fast forward to, you know, as you were, you built up your development company and then you, now you've shifted your focus and you found multifamily. What was it about multifamily that draw, drew you into it? Yeah. So the development company was churning and it was doing pretty well, but eventually land dries up, right? And you're constantly having to search for your next opportunity. And I could kind of see the opportunity running out. And so I knew I had to take the money that was being made in this development company and put it into another asset vehicle, something that was going to be passive and something, you know, I didn't have to keep working and like killing my supper every night for lack of a better word, but that I read a book by David Lindahl called Multifamily Millions. And it, it just kind of opened my eyes to, you know, there's a next level out there in real estate. And it, it truthfully changed my life. I, I'm, a, I'm the slowest reader there is, but I finished that book in two days. I, I just couldn't put it down. You know, I read it over and over, probably three times straight, back to back to back. I ended up going to one of his boot camps out in San Diego. And uh, it was about two years after I first read that book before I did anything with multifamily. And so what was it about it that like within those two years that you were doing before you had decided to jump into your first deal? I guess I, truthfully, I wasn't putting in enough work to get that first deal. I was pretty busy with the development company. It was hands-on job at the time. And I had a lot of projects going on that were in the beginning phase. So I was comfortable. Truthfully, I was comfortable where I was. And then during that time, I could, the clock was ticking. I could just see that, that land running out. You know, I had to find something else. I had to pivot like all entrepreneurs eventually have to do. You have to find another avenue, another vehicle and pivot. And multifamily was that pivot. And that was the new strategy that I dove into in 2016. And so can you talk a little bit about how you found the first deal and what kind of challenges did you face as you were, you know, moving into multifamily? Yeah, the first deal, it was unique. Most people start off small. This was this was big. It was a 200-unit deal in Nashville, so it was in my backyard. It was through a broker we had been talking with two, but it was five of us. We set up a joint venture and pulled all our money together. You know, there was no syndication. I think we were still nervous about the syndication model, you know, what we were doing. But, you know, pull money together from five people and create a simple partnership. Let's take this down. Everybody's getting the same return. Uh, that's what we did. So 200 units, took it down uh, in 2016. And we didn't hold that one long, even though our plan was to hold that long term. It was a 13 month hold and we got a crazy offer out of California and then another one out of Texas and it created a bidding war. And then eventually they offered so much that it did it made sense to sell. It didn't make sense not to sell. And so uh, the first deal was a little abnormal, to say the least. But I mean, 
we were in the game and, you know, you set yourself up over that two years and build the knowledge and build the confidence and eventually opportunity comes and you're ready to tackle it. So for that first 200 unit deal, um, what kind of work did you guys had put in it before you started getting offers? It wasn't like, it wasn't, <laughs> we did like parking lots and exteriors. I'd say we probably spent two or 300,000, but on a 200 unit deal, that, that's not a lot, right? The purchase price on that one was $8.125 million. So, you know, to spend two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars in CapEx, it's not a lot. And then what did you end up um, selling it for? We sold it for $13.6. Wow. That must have been extremely exciting within 13 months. <laughs> it was. I don't know how to describe it, but it, it was, like I said, it was abnormal. That usually doesn't happen. So, Everybody was made whole. They pulled out their initial equity, and then we ended up 1031-ing it into a bigger and better asset uh, still in Nashville, which we still own today. And so from that one, you guys 1031 exchange into another deal. Was that as a passive um, investment or was it into another? Um, did you guys own the property as well? Yeah, own as well. And so did at that point, did you guys do another JV or did you guys start raising capital for that? No, it was it was the same ownership structure. And I, I'm pretty sure you have to keep it that way with the 1031 exchange. You might have to research that. But we kept the uh, same ownership structure and everybody went in on that one as well because at that point, we were all playing on house money, right? Because everybody had pulled back their initial equity and then we just took the proceeds and rolled it right into this this new asset. And so for the partnerships, you know, as you're creating JVs and you're creating these partnerships, how did you decide to work with the five other people that on this project and then deciding that you want to partner with them? It was more so they wanted to partner with us. And, you know, I I don't say that to brag or anything, but a lot of our investors are people that have, you know, 401ks laying around or IRAs and they roll it over or just have money that they need to place and they don't know what I had a bit of a good track record uh, then and they felt comfortable making that investment. And we knew that, you know, we were confident we could take this asset and succeed with it. Here's the numbers. It's a no brainer and let's do it. And it's worked out. And that's how we operate on every deal. I mean, typically I don't do JVs like that anymore. It's more of a syndicated structure to where you have a GP and an LP split and all of that good stuff. For the first deal, we wanted to keep it as simple as possible, right? Yeah. And then you guys really kept it simple and then made a killing on that first deal. (laughs) It was good. We celebrated. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, after that, you know, after you guys had JV'd, you had the two deals and you guys got more comfortable with the multifamily space. At what point did you guys decide to start syndicating and raising money from other people? The raising money part was out of necessity. Eventually you run out of money, right? If you're wanting to grow. But the syndication model was based purely off of we're doing a lot of work to get these deals done and you deserve to be compensated for that work, whether it's putting the deal together, uh, owning and operating it, signing on the loan. I mean, you're risking a lot when you take on this debt, even if it is non-recourse and you have the bad boy carve outs and whatnot. That was the model we chose and everybody was on board with it that invest with us today because it's a win-win for everybody. We're, we're taking that money and we're growing it for them. And the returns that we're making these investors, it's hard to find out there. It, it really is in this day and time. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. 
Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. And so, you know, a lot of the properties that you had purchased, are they mostly in the same market in the Nashville, Tennessee? And then when did you decide to branch out into other different markets and what attracted you to those other markets? Uh, just pure opportunity. It, it wasn't anything. I guess when I look at markets, you're looking at job growth, what type of jobs, median salaries, infrastructure, you know, do they have major interstate systems? Do they have a good airport nearby where people can come and go? But opportunity uh, really is what made me go into other markets. So I only own two properties today in Nashville, and then the rest are throughout the Southeast. We're in Texas, Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, and Tennessee. And then as of this week, I got another deal under contract in Louisiana. So we're about to expand there as well. Oh, wow. That's exciting news for you guys and continuing to grow. Absolutely. But the thing I like about the Southeast so much is you can still get in at a low cost basis per door, right? And, you know, with the current climate uh, in general throughout the nation, people are migrating south, whether it's California because they're fleeing state income taxes or New York and they want warmer weather. Like a lot of people are coming south and we like that. And, you know, today your company owns over 2,500 units. You know, what was kind of like the biggest challenge that you had faced from, you know, scaling from that first deal to where you are today? Putting the right systems and the right people into place. We're truly blessed with the team that we have. An incredible COO slash asset manager. She has a team of, you know, five people on her side and then she oversees, uh, a couple of property management companies, third party for us. And it's just part of a system that we've built over time. And it took time to put all these pieces into place. But I will say she, our asset manager, she makes things go and we're very grateful for her. But that was in the beginning, it was just putting the right people in the right places. You're going to fail, but you just got to keep going, pivot, adapt and find that right person. And can you offer some advice on how to choose the right people, like specifically for, you know, for a certain need? Yeah, I think it just goes back to, you know, you recognize talent and then you find a place for that talent rather than finding someone who had that job experience or specific background. But talented people always can make a position for themselves inside your organization. So I don't do hardly any hiring nowadays. It's all, you know, our team members. So we probably have 100 plus employees, but I haven't hired a single one of them. And what has been the biggest difference between, you know, from the development company to what you're doing today? Yeah, the development company is was much more hands-on. You're constantly having to look for acquisitions. You're having to line up financing on every new construction build, dealing with, you know, public codes departments. It's just headache after headache and restrictions in the city are getting tighter and tighter, making it nearly impossible to get anything done on time. 
like I said, it, it was just purely hands-on and I was looking for a more passive business because after all, we're, we're all chasing our time and our freedom and multifamily has really allowed me to do that. It's given me the freedom to travel and make my own work schedule and knowing that jobs are going to get done because the right people are in the right places doing them. And so Tyler, what's next for you and your company? We're going to continue to expand. Uh, We're looking to aggressively buy this year. We're backed by a lot of capital, people that want to invest. And we didn't buy anything last year just because of COVID, zero opportunities. I felt like uh, everything was pretty marginal. But this year, we've gotten three deals under contract. We're going to close here in the next 30 days on one in Huntsville, Alabama. But we're we're going to keep the machine moving and keep growing. And so, you know, sometimes right now, especially with the current environment and the pandemic that's going on and, you know, the uncertainty that kind of goes around with in real estate, what is your kind of opinion on how the market is going and what can we kind of expect in like the short term in the next couple of years? Hey, it, it's hard to know what to expect, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Who really knows? But the only advice I can give is to be conservative, more conservative than you were in your approach to underwriting, to purchasing, whatever that is. I've considered myself a conservative investor my entire life, but now I'm being extra conservative, but yet there's still deals out there to be had. So I would get with you know my mortgage broker, whoever's doing your lending and see what type of financing options are available with the COVID restrictions. Because you know the agency debt, whether that's Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, HUD, they all have different regulations that are constantly changing to uh, comply with COVID. So your financing can make or break a deal. And the more knowledge you have in that area, the more likely you're going to be able to succeed. And so from the passive investor side, you know, with your investors in your company, you know, what has kind of been like the most common concerns that they've had in the current environment? They really haven't had any concerns. They trust what we're doing. And we're still giving out checks. You know, we're still doing quarterly distributions because we bought right, we're operating right, and we were conservative in our approach going in. And we we were ready for something like this to happen, even though who would have thought it would ever have happened. So the investors are still happy and they're ready to invest more, which is the good thing. And how about the people who are looking to invest into multifamily opportunity for the first time, you know, and they're a little bit hesitant about, you know, jumping into the market? What would you say to them? Are you talking about the passive side? Yes. I would vet out the sponsor, vet out the deal yourself, and I wouldn't invest with anyone who is not throwing their own skin in the game. There's a lot of syndicators out there nowadays who are, who are not really putting any money in the deals, you know, and just collecting acquisition fees and all these other fees. I think it's really crucial to make sure that whoever you are investing with, they put their money where their mouth is as well. And they have something to lose, especially in this climate, because anything can go sideways. And there's a lot of stuff trading out there still on the market, but it's getting thinner and thinner margin wise. So just be careful, know who you're investing with and make sure that they, they have an open communication line with you at all times if you need something. I mean, that's crucial. And so Tyler, we mentioned a little bit earlier about, you know, getting the time freedom with working in real estate. How else has it impacted your life? I, it's given me financial freedom. It's given me my freedom of time, much more at ease uh, nowadays. You know, I'm still looking to grow uh, professionally, personally. But uh, it makes things a lot easier when you have your time back. And so 
truthfully, it's allowed me to travel anywhere I want to go and take off at a moment's notice. You know, once a year, I try to go on a, a just a solo trip where I'll take a month or, and go to another country and just travel around. And multifamily, not the development company, but multifamily has allowed me to do that. And what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Ooh, that's a tough one. Don't think that you have to have all your ducks in a row or everything has to work out perfect on paper. Uh, a lot of purchases in real estate are gut decisions. It's all a pro forma at the end of the day. So at some point you got to jump in, you got to pull the trigger and it, it's hard to lose money in real estate if you buy it somewhat right. You know, it's not like stocks to where it could tank and go bankrupt and you lose all your money, but real estate, it's a safe bet. That's why I like it, but don't be afraid to jump in. Just make it happen and do your first deal. And so, you know, especially right now, there may be a lot of, you know, what people kind of say is like, there might be a lot of competition in the space right now. How are you guys making yourselves competitive when putting in the offers? Yeah. uh, Easy to work with. They know we can close. But recently, we're having to put up hard earnest money, which I'm not a huge fan of. But to be competitive, you got to do it. So we're vetting the deal a little bit on the exteriors and just seeing what kind of shape it's in and say, hey, you know, $200,000 earnest money and 50000 of it's hard. That, that's a risk we're willing to take on mm-hmm. uh, because we believe in the deal. So it, to be competitive nowadays, you just have to be easy to work with. And like I said, hard earnest money has become the new norm. So it is tough. I mean, if you're looking to jump in for the first time, it's tough to just go out there and do your first deal, uh, especially if a broker doesn't know you and you don't have a track record of closing any deals or any experience. So my advice would be to partner with someone who has done it before, build your resume, and then on the next one, you can go out and hopefully do it on your own. Thank you for sharing. And so what is one thing that sets successful people apart in the real estate investing business? I would say mindset. I talked a little bit earlier about the confidence to just go ahead, do your first deal. Don't be afraid. And not everything has to line up exactly right. Also, constantly learning and growing. Mentorship has been the biggest part of my real estate career. I'm involved in mastermind groups and have been for the past five or six years. And I would say that single-handedly has taken my career to where it is now is, is mastermind groups. It's getting around other high level players who inspire you and who, if you have something goes wrong, well, they know somebody who can fix it if they can't fix it themselves. It's all about networking connections. And that's what mastermind groups do and bring to the table. But mentorship, I can't stress that enough how big that is. And so Tyler, is there any tools or techniques that you use to improve the efficiency of your business or your personal life? I would just say hire the right people that makes everything way more efficient, right? If you can count on them to get the job done and get the job done better than you would do it. That's what A players are all about. So I would just say, get the right people in your organization and get the right people around you that you hang out with to to get your mindset right. No, I think that that's a really great point. You know, surround yourself with good people and, you know, you guys can take the journey together and everybody will, it's a win-win situation for everybody and you get to choose who you get to work with. And so you want to work with the best. Exactly. The best of people you like working with. Absolutely. (laughs) And so Tyler, if our listeners want to find out more about you and what you do, where can they go? Hit me up on Instagram. My handle is TK underscore Nashville. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tyler. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story and your experience. And I'm just so grateful to have you on today. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to watching you and your husband crush it. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.